unplanned, um, which is uh, pro-life. And I said last week at the church, and I want to say it again, this isn't about uh, judging people's decisions, what people have been through. I wasn't always a Christian. I came to the Lord when I was 21. I know exactly what it feels like for people that go through and have had an abortion. The movie's not about that. It is a true life based on a true story movie. It'll be a heart jerker. But it is about us as the church saying, hey, we, we value life more than anything else. Uh, and, but we want to journey with people that have made the decision, that may one day make the decision, that are struggling with stuff. We want to be in a place where we can do that. And while we're at it, here's a movie that, that gives you some, some information, some really good, valuable stuff to weigh up properly. So last week we were really short on numbers. We needed to reach a tipping point for it to be screened in Ballarat. Um, just to give you an idea, there's a, uh, a cinema in Narang. That's in Queensland, correct? I think Narang. Anyway, they have cancelled the screening because the staff won't work, like, which is really quite funny. Um, f- find new staff. Uh, anyway, Ballarat needed 71 people to reach the tipping point. As of last week, I think on Thursday we passed that. Uh, They've given us a bigger theatre. Now we can seat 160. I think we're at 95. And so now people can just buy tickets all the way up. You know, there's no cancellation coming uh, that's happening. And I actually think that as people watch the movie, as people invite their friends, it creates a space for us to walk into where we haven't been able to because some, some Christian voices can come across as quite judgmental. It's not what we're supposed to do. But we can now come into a place where we can journey with people and help bring healing. Amen. So for those that have bought tickets, thank you. For those that have shared about Unplanned, thank you. But continue to share it. There's 65 seats left out of 160. I reckon it would be great to fill it just quietly, my personal opinion. So good job, church. Good job. Ah, Let's pray um, and then we'll get into a word. For those that are Richmond supporters, congratulations, by the way. For those that aren't like me, we have to suffer now for a few weeks. Anyway, we'll pray for that too. Father, we just thank you for the wonderful privilege and honour that we have of coming into your house. Thank you for the wonderful times that we get to spend with you, Lord, in our personal relationship with you. But Father, also in our corporate relationship with you. Thank you for the worship today. Thank you for the way that you are always present. Lord God, I know that you live within us, but Lord, there's just a sense where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst. Father, I thank you just even today for the way that you've moved, the way that you've touched people, the way that you've mended hearts. I I, I love the way that you do that. I I thank you for the words that have been spoken in communion and in offering. I thank you for love and passion, Lord, of the people in this house, Father, and other believers that just so, so love you. So, Lord God, as, as I speak today, may they be your words. Father, may we all come away lord challenged different changed more like your son jesus may we have a, a wonderful time together lord as your children as your family in your house and everybody said amen, amen. cool well let's see where do we go today um there's a reality i think is a reality that each and every one of us would love to be loved and cherished is that a fair call I don't think anyone else here, anyone here would actually say, actually, I really long for the day that I'm hated, that someone despises me. I don't think anyone would ever say that. So I'm going to speak on your behalf. I figure that everyone here loves, 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 loves to be cherished, loves to be loved. Everybody wants to be adored. And if you think about what we've been speaking about over the last couple of weeks, 
Uh, and for those that are our, our, our guests here today, you can always catch that on our, on our podcast. But we've been having a look that in life we often travel through difficult times, hard times, trials and tribulations. And I think that when we go through those seasons in life, it's probably really important, and I'd say all of us would want to and desire to be loved in those spaces and places, yeah? In those times, when we're going through those, those tough times. And it's through those times that I want to suggest that we all need to be shown not only love, but compassion, yeah? Compassion. So compassion, the word compassion, it lends itself, it, it, it alludes to kindness and sympathy, but I, I want to suggest that, that it's actually much deeper than that. Compassion is, is much more powerful than kindness. It's much more powerful than, than sympathy. So the, the origin of the word compassion actually gives us an understanding of what it means, what true compassion is. actually gives an idea of the depth, the depth of the word itself, the significance of it. And it, and it derives from a Latin word, compati, yeah? Compati. And compati means to suffer with. Yeah? To suffer with. So compassion means someone else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. That's compassion. It means that somebody else's suffering becomes your suffering. And I think that as Christians, as believers, as Jesus' hands and feet extended, we are called to live a life full of compassion, a compassionate life to those that are around us. So think of it like this. It's really nice when someone tells you how special you are to them. You know, we, we love that. We all like that. Like, let's face it, when Grace just mentioned and picked out Samuel and said, dude, what a... Like, he would have been embarrassed, but deep down inside, he would have loved it. Part of him would have said, of course, you know? <laughs> and the other part was, would have been like, oh, thank you. Now, he's gone away, and he'll think about that, you know? He'll think about those words. Because we all love to be encouraged. We love that. We love to know that we're valuable. We love to know that we're, we're one of a kind. We love to know that we're accepted by people, you know. But how amazing is it, how much more amazing is it, when someone actually reaches out to walk with you in your journey, to help you in your life, like really help you, that where someone, they don't make a judgment of how you're living, yeah, or the decisions that you're making. You know, a place where they show true compassion, where they take on your heart, heartbreak, where they take on your suffering. Like they're there. They're not, they're not just offering empty words. They're, they're there. They're there in your doubt. They're there in your confusion. How wonderful is it when someone comes alongside and does that for us, eh? I mean, that's really cool, isn't it? So there's something so genuinely beautiful when you reach out to someone in their pain, in their trial, in their journey, when you don't judge another, but instead you just simply love on them. Because one of the deepest needs of our hearts, I believe, is to be loved. Yeah, One of the deepest needs. People can say they, they, they can live life on their own without others, but you know, I'll put it on record, what a load of crock that is. You know, We're not designed to live on our own. We're not designed to have faith on our own. We are designed to have an individual personal relationship that's independent of everyone else, along with a corporate yeah, relationship that's independent, I should say dependent on everybody else. It's, it's both. We're not designed to live alone. We're just not. 
We're designed to do life with one another. That's why it's precious when you really get down and dirty and you start to be open, honest and vulnerable and people know the real you. You, you connect with him in a way that, that, that it, it can't be described with words, but it's the way that Father God has designed us. Yeah? You know, nothing shows love and speaks love like compassion. Nothing. Nothing. Real life, true compassion. There's a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it says, We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Yeah, they're pretty powerful words, aren't they? See, I think we all want to be told and we want to hear others say something or do something that lets us know that they love us. You know, I, I love it when my wife does something that was so out of the blue that it just lets me know that, that she loves me. And I know that she longs for those times when I do that and step into that space for her once every couple of years. I'm working at it. You know, we want to we be loved. We, we want to be shown love. We want to see a demonstration of people's love towards us. We want people around us to be concerned about us, you know, I believe. To sincerely ask, are you okay? You know, is everything all right today? Can I help you with something? Is there something, is there something that I can do? You know, even to say, hey, you're awesome. That was great. Wow, fantastic on the, on the drums. Ollie, great job on the keys. Wow, Sally, you, you, you sounded beautiful today. We all long for those things. You know, Gary Morgan has a quote that from time to time you'll see it hanging in our toilets because we change those quotes, you know, because you want to spend your time in the toilet, you know, and what needs to be of benefit. So <laughs> Gary's quote that you often see in there is, always find a reason to love it might not add years to your life, but it will add life to your years. Yeah? And a friend of ours, Brenton Colleen, when he preached here many, many years ago, said this. He said, kindness and care cost nothing, but the return on investment is priceless. Yeah? And I think compassion is even greater, shows that in an even greater measure. There's this beautiful passage of scripture in June. Um, I'm just going to grab some water, particularly in the Passion Translation. So I'm not going to have it up on the screen, but... I've chosen to read part in the Passion Translation because I love some of the words and where it directs us in our walk, yeah? So go with me. It's in Jude, um, and I'm just going to read verses 1 to 4 from the, for the moment, but it's from Judah, a loving ser servant of Jesus, the anointed one and brother of James. I'm writing to the chosen ones who are wrapped in the love of Father God, kept and guarded for Jesus the Messiah. May God's mercy, peace, and love cascade over you. Dearly loved friend, I was fully intending to write to you about our amazing salvation we all participate in, but felt the need instead to challenge you. Now, this isn't the point of my message, but there's something he says in it that's really important for us to take away. To challenge you to vigorously defend and contend for the beliefs that we cherish for God. Through, uh, uh, we cherish. For God, through the apostles, has once for all entrusted these truths to his holy believers. So, so what, are those, what are the beliefs? What are the truths that we are supposed to cherish? Are they our fundamental beliefs? Or are they what God calls us to be and how to live? What are the fundamental, what are these truths that we are to cherish, right? 
There have been some who have sneaked in among you unnoticed. They had depraved people whose judgment was prophesied in Scripture long ago. They've perverted the message of God's grace into a license to commit immorality and turn against our only absolute master, our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make a point soon. (laughs) So I'm not going to read the whole section in between, but they have perverted the message of God's grace into a license to commit. Yeah? Into a license to commit immorality. From verse 17 it reads, But you, my delightfully loved friends, I love how it puts that, you know, like God delights in you. He delights in you. That's phenomenal. He actually delights in you. But you, my delightfully loved friends, remember the prophecies of the apostles of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. They taught you in the last day there will be mockers motivated by their own ungodly desires. These people cause divisions and are followers of their own natural instincts, devoid of the life of the Spirit. But you, my delightfully loved friends, constantly and progressively build yourselves up in the foundation of your most holy faith by praying every moment in the Spirit. Verse 21 says, fasten your hearts. Like, what a, this word, fasten your hearts to the love of God and receive the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who gives eternal life. And then verse 22 says, keep being compassionate to those who still have doubts. Who are those that still have doubts? They're the last 20-something verses that are in Jude that I didn't read. Yeah, that's what causes people to make decisions to live a particular way of life because they're confused, they have doubts. And if we're all to be honest, yeah, We all have confusion and doubts in part because I guarantee you that every person here from the right to the left, not one of us lives exactly the same life as the person next to us. Not a single one. Because we're all driven by our own convictions, yeah? And we're all messed with with our own confusion and doubt, yeah? And yet the scripture says, keep being compassionate. To those who still have doubts, snatch others out of the fire. Be merciful over and over to them, but always couple your mercy with the fear of God. Be extremely careful to keep yourselves free from the pollutions of the flesh. It goes on. So here's my opinion. We live in a time where people have different and varying beliefs. Yeah? We just do. I mean, we only got to look at the AFL grand final. Some people actually barrack for the GWS. It's simple as that, as ridiculous as that analogy is. Some people love plants, but I can take you to a part in Melbourne where people love concrete. Yeah? My heritage. I'd have concrete all over the backyard if Mel had left me, let me and I had enough money. There'd be no grass, no weeds, just green concrete. <laughs> Barbecue, outdoor area, beautiful. Yeah, I would love that. But some of you are thinking, are you serious? You live in Ballarat. This is country. I know. And I've got almost a quarter acre of overgrown trees and weeds. I can't keep up. Others are like, we'd love acreage. You know, we're all different. (laughs) My point is we're all different. You know, we've got people today that are questioning, is there a hell? Can a loving God send people to hell? I actually don't think he sends people to hell. I think we make a choice. And for me, I don't care what hell looks like, whether it's fire and brimstone. I believe, personally, that to live in eternity, 
separated from God. Even if I can see him in the distance but can never have a relationship with him, he's going to be hellish enough itself. Yeah. So you've got people that have got these different and varying beliefs. Is there a hell? Do we really need to get married before we have sex? Can't we just have sex? I mean, God created it. It's fun. Is same-sex attraction okay? Is that all right? Because if two people love each other and God's love, I'm not pointing out what's right and wrong here. I'm just, I want to give you a platform. There are so many different and varying beliefs today, yeah? Is God really alive? Because if he was alive, how could my loved one, how could my child die? How could my mom go so early? How could my best friend die in that car? How can that happen? A loving God can't allow that to happen. See, I agree with the passage of Scripture that we read that said some have taken God's grace and they've made it a license to commit it says immorality, yeah? But immorality is anything and everything. To live how they want because God is love and he'll love you anyway. See, verse 4 says, talk, it talks about immorality and most link immorality to sexuality, to sex. But the word itself, that's not what it means. It's not entirely accurate to look at it like that. Actually, the Cambridge Dictionary gives this meaning for immorality. Behaviour that is morally wrong. So what are your morals? I guarantee you that mine will be slightly different because I'm going to allow my kids to watch some movies that you may never allow your kids to watch and you may allow your kids to watch some movies that I would never allow my kids to watch all based on our morals, yeah? Behaviour that is morally wrong or outside of society standards of which is acceptable. So when we look at the passage again, people have used God's grace as a license to behave in a way that is outside of society's standards of what is acceptable. Here's the problem living in 2019, moving towards 2020, that what society has as acceptable standards keeps shifting. It keeps moving. So what was right then is not right now or vice versa, yeah? There are, these are definitely the times that we're living in. So, so why am I bringing all this to our attention? Because the Bible tells us something very clear that shows the world that we're children of God. You know, verse 22 and 23 says, Keep being compassionate. Keep being. In, in, a, in an atmosphere, in a society that keeps shifting, where the stands are, stands are really loose, like don't get close to the edge because you could fall. Keep being compassionate. Keep being compassionate and show mercy over and over and over and over and over and over again. You and I are to be compassionate to all those that still have doubts. Pe- people who have doubts do not and will not live by the same convictions you and I live by. In the same way that I may not live by your convictions and you may not live by mine. They will do and say things that we may not. But we're not called to judge them, but to be compassionate and to show mercy continually over and over and over and over. I keep telling them, but they won't listen. I've shown them and they have not heard. You know, I can't understand how they keep making the same mistake. Keep being compassionate. Keep showing mercy over and over and over. So this is... 
This is where love hits the road. This is a place where we love one another and others outside of the faith, even when we disagree. My wonderful water bottle, so I forgot to buy one from the shop, that looks chewed because it is chewed by our dog and I'm still using it. If you feel compelled to buy me a new one, that's the Lord speaking. So what's it look like to be compassionate? That's a really good question. It's a couple of things that we need to understand first, yeah? And the first is that Papa God is a compassionate God. He's a flat-out compassionate God. He actually feels and knows your pain. He actually knows your heartache. He knows your suffering. He actually knows those things and understands those things. I'm only going to give you two, two scriptures, but there are so many that talk about God's compassion. Isaiah thirty eighteen says, So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. I'm okay with that because I believe we have to walk to the cross. He's already done all the work by going there, yeah? And now he's just saying, okay, here it is. Come in. I'm inviting you, my children. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. Isaiah 49, 13 says, Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. That's not bad to know when you're suffering that he's going to have compassion on you. Compassion isn't empty words. Compassion is your heartbreak becomes his heartbreak. Your suffering becomes his suffering. Yeah? So God's compassionate. Now we need to know that Jesus, our Saviour, is actually compassionate as well. Matthew 14, 13 to 14 says, As soon as Jesus heard the news... He left in a boat to a remote area to be alone, but the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed the sick. You know those times when you're at home and you just, you can't wait. This is your time. Your partner's looking after the kids and then you hear this at the door and you want to hide, but you know you can't. I know that's no one here. Yeah, that's just that's how our family works, right? Shut up, they won't know. I keep telling Mel we need to frost that little bit of glass next to the door so they can't see in. Don't laugh. I'm I've just bid on something on Facebook by swap and sell to frost glass because I want to frost that little sucker. Jesus was in that place. This is my time. This is for me. And then someone comes, but not one, but not two, not three, not hundreds. And he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He is able to empathise. He goes over and above that. He is compassionate. Our heartbreak becomes his. Our suffering becomes his. So the Father and Son are our examples to be compassionate when someone else's heartbreak becomes our heartbreak. Just those words alone, we can actually properly look into a mirror and measure up whether we are and have been a compassionate people. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 4, I love this. 
says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and of God, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, all of them, yeah? In your doubt, in your confusion, in your pain, in your suffering, in your relationships, in your financial struggles, in every trouble that you've had and are going to have, right? He comforts you in all of that. Why? It's like, it's one of those things, you know when you give a gift to your, your, your children, but really, it's only half a gift because it means you're going to get something back. This is like God's comfort for us, right? Why does he do that? So that we can then comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So when someone is asking questions, is there a hell? Same-sex attraction, okay. Can I have sex? Can I go out and get drunk? It's only one time. Can I don't know what to do. I think I've done the wrong thing. I've done the right thing. I don't, I'm going to leave my partner. When people are in their troubles... Have compassion, don't judge. Walk alongside them. Their heartbreak, their doubt, their confusion becomes ours. We all of a sudden now become Jesus' hands and feet extended. Now we can use our prophetic gift and speak life and words of knowledge because we've earned the right because we've actually come alongside and their heartbreaks become our, you know, our heartbreak and their suffering, our suffering. Is that us? Is that us? Is that you? Philippians 2, 1 to 2 reads, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any, if any comfort from his love, if any, just even a little bit, yeah? If any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you've got any of those things from him, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. So it's pretty obvious that we're supposed to be compassionate people. Don't you reckon? I mean, it's pretty good. It's not really heavy. <laughs> That's what we're called to live. It's obvious that the way we bring and be compassionate shows those around us that we are God's children. The truth is, it can be really hard. It can be really, really hard when people are living, when they're speaking, when they're behaving in a way that we might believe is morally wrong or outside of what we believe is society's acceptable standards. Yeah? It can be hard when we're coming alongside those who don't have the same possibly fundamental Christian beliefs. But keep being compassionate, yeah? So you and I are not called to show compassion on only those that have faith. We're not called to show compassion on only those that agree with what we believe in. We're called to show compassion and, and bring compassion and mercy over and over and over again to anyone who has heartbreak, to anyone who's in suffering, to anyone who is in doubt, to anyone who has confusion. So this is not about being better. This is about being Jesus. Yeah? And that can be tough. Really tough. See, walking with other people's heartbreak, other people's suffering, I don't know about any of you, but in my short time as a believer, that can really challenge your faith at times. Because when they're questioning, you, in trying to help them, 
walk through their questions, you now have those questions. And sometimes they can become your questions, yeah? They can become really difficult in that space. So how do we do that? How do we be compassionate people without falling? How do we do, how do, we do that without faltering? See, Jude even warns us in the passage that we read, he says, be extremely careful to keep yourselves free from the pollutions of the flesh. Unfortunately, in that language, the pollutions of the flesh, we just think sin, stuff that separates us from God, where we're making up our own mind to do our own thing. But when I think of the pollutions of the flesh, it is anything inside me from anywhere, yeah, that may rock my world, my faith world, anything. Not because I'm just going against what God wants for my life, because I'm coming alongside those that are broken and heartbroken and suffering, and now I'm, I'm taking on some of their pain. And if I don't do this properly, I may start to ask questions about my own faith. What do I think about God? I believe the answer is in the same passage. In Jude, in Jude verses 20 and 21, the, the New Living Translation reads, reads like this, But you, dear friends, must build each other up in the most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way you will keep yourself safe in God's love. It's nice. But I, I, I'm going back to the to the Passion Translation, not because it's more accurate, but because it gives us some words that we can actually grab hold of, yeah? And that it brings understanding. It reads, But you, my delightfully loved friends, constantly and progressively build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith by praying every moment in the Spirit. Fasten your hearts to the love of God and receive the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who gives us eternal life. If you want to be compassionate, you want to show compassion, true compassion, then we need to build ourselves up constantly and progressively, yeah? Now, constantly, because I, I love Google, because it has dictionaries that I don't have to put in bookshelves, and I have a number of them that I can look at. So Google told me, through a dictionary that constantly means all the time or often, and a particular dictionary put it this way, faithful, unswerving devotion. So you want to be Jesus' hands and feet extended? You want to be able to be truly compassionate as God is, in compa as God is compassionate, as Jesus is compassionate, as we're called to be compassionate? If you want to be that person, then you and I need to all the time have a faithful, unswerving devotion about building ourselves up in the faith. Faithful, unswerving devotion. Now, if we try to be compassionate without those things in our life, then we're in danger of falling away. Truly, we're in danger of struggling in our faith. We're, we're in danger of becoming like those that we wanted to show love and compassion to. But I love the second word, apart from the, the constantly, is the progressively. Because so, so many times over the years, we can speak so bluntly, so forthrightly and righteously almost to people that we give them an answer that they believe they need to grab hold of now. But our faith isn't a now faith. Our faith is a progressive walking out journey, a process with the Lord while He does stuff in our hearts. 
So when it says that we need to build ourselves up progressively, I love this. Steadily making process is what it means. In stages. So in other words, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And if you know anything about marathon running, which as you can tell I do, Different stages actually require different things. You're faster at one moment, slower at another. You're changing your breathing in another part. It's all part of your marathon running. It's all part of that particular race. And here in our faith, to build ourselves up, it's steadily making process. It's in stages. Otherwise, you're going to beat yourself up. If you can understand how to build yourselves up progressively, this is for me, then we can step into that place to be compassionate people. Because when those questions come, when their heartbreak comes, when their suffering comes, we have steadily built ourselves up in the Lord. Amen? We don't have to have all of the answers. You don't need to have all of the answers for your faith. You don't need to have all of the answers when you're being compassionate with someone. You just need to be there. You just need to be Jesus. Amen? Pray, intercede for others, read, worship. Do the stuff that works for you, that builds you up, but just do it faithfully. Do it, do it out of devotion, but do it bit by bit. Do it in stages. Don't say, today I'm going to pray for three hours, and then after 15 minutes you're like, this is killing me, and then walk away and think, oh man, that was, that was a waste. Do it in stages. Do it bit by bit. Remember, we're transformed into the image of Jesus with ever-increasing glory day by day, moment by moment. We go from glory to glory. We, don't, we step into sonship now. Yes, amen. We step into his family now, but I don't step into being totally glorious overnight. Yeah, I'm becoming more like Jesus. We are becoming more like him. But what I love about this passage of Scripture the most is this idea of fastening our hearts if we're going to be a compassionate people. Fasten your hearts to the love of God and receive the mercy of our Lord Jesus who gives us eternal life. Fasten. Fasten means to fix one thing to another. My favourite meaning that I found was to become firmly fixed together. Firmly fixed together. So for us to be like Papa, for, to be like Jesus, to be compassionate, for us to be able to be heartbroken with those that are heartbroken and carry the suffering of others, to be able to walk through their trials and tribulations without it affecting us, then we need to fasten, fasten, fasten our hearts. I had a great picture when I was thinking of fastening because I was thinking of mountain climbers. You know how they get the ropes and they fasten it? You know, they do all the checks or if they're going to go parachuting, they've got their parachute on and all these other things that have to get fastened. Do you know what happens? If you're doing those things, if you're going bungee jumping, imagine bungee jumping and you haven't fastened yourself. It's going to be calling splat jumping. Like splat. You've got to fasten yourself because there's something in it that's going to protect you. So even if you fall, you've got to get it. Even if you fall, you're safe because you're fastened. Because you're fastened. Because if you're not fastened, you could fall to your death just because you want to be compassionate. Just because you want to help someone in their heartbreak. And someone, this is for someone, and someone in their journey, someone in their suffering, if you've not fastened yourself to the Lord, you're in danger of falling to your spiritual death. 
You may even just fall and permanently damage your relationship with Jesus because you've not fastened yourself to him. The reason Jude warns us is because when we're being like Jesus, showing compassion, man, it's, it's tough. And for those of you that are compassionate people naturally, there is such a thing as compassion fatigue. You need to progressively build yourselves up, build me up. I've got to do that. We have to fasten ourselves to him, amen, so that we can be compassionate to one another and to those that are out there that need it, amen. I love the passage of Scripture because it's about us becoming firmly fixed together with one another but with our Lord, with Him. It's so that we look after ourselves spiritually and physically. So when we do that, then we can be there for everybody else. Keep being compassionate. Show mercy over and over and over. There's a pastor in Queensland, Mark Ramsey, and he had a, a quote on social media just this week. And it's how you walk with the broken is more important than how you sit with the great. How you walk with the broken is more important than how you sit with the great. But you can't walk with the broken if you don't constantly and progressively build yourself up in the most holy faith, in stages, unswervingly, with some devotion. Yeah, bit by bit, fastening yourself to him. You know, we know and believe here at Mount Clear that to know God is to also know him through experience and encounter. You know, we often say it's not just the words of the book. The, the words in this book are supposed to be alive, and if they're not alive, then it's just a book. It doesn't matter if it falls apart. It's only words on a page but it needs to be alive, yeah? How do you know if it's alive? It's if you truly experience an encounter. That's what happens to a book. It falls apart. You see, as we experience and encounter God, we realise and understand more and more and more His love and His compassion for us. And that allows us to grow in our maturity as sons and daughters. Ephesians 3.19 says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. John 17.3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you. 2 Corinthians 2.4, For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love. The word know is the same word in all three scriptures, to know him by experience and encounter. There's nothing more special than the moment that you truly experience God's love and are consumed by that, overwhelmed by his devotion, overwhelmed by his unmerited compassion. His compassion leaves us speechless. It leaves us in tears. It leaves us full of gratefulness. But it's no different when people experience his compassion through us. They need to know it through experience and encounter. Not just words, yeah? Through experience and encounter. Through experience and encounter. It will leave people speechless, yeah? It will leave them in tears. It will leave them full of gratefulness and thank thankfulness and it brings people one step closer to their own personal relationship or deeper relationship with Jesus. Why don't we stand, if that's all right. Ollie, can I have the keys?
Thank you. Cheers. I think I've got a challenge more so than an altar call today, you know. A call, if you will. Because I think deep down inside that we all want to be compassionate. We want to all carry the heartbreak of others. We all want to be able to be there for people in their suffering. But we're living in an age where people have taken God's grace as a license to commit immorality. Things that are outside of what we might interpret as society standards. And so we find that some people are able to give compassion to others while others cannot. But we're not called to make that call. We're not asked to make that call. We're just asked to be compassionate. Continue being compassionate. Keep showing mercy over and over and over and over so that our homes and our house are filled with people that are heartbroken, that are suffering, that are walking in doubt, that are walking in confusion, that haven't quite got the answers because we've been able to step into a place because we're fastened to Him, to be compassionate as He's compassionate to them. Amen. So with every eye closed, just for a moment, Don't worry about the person next to you. Just in your own personal, individual, independent relationship with Jesus that is apart from everybody else. There are some here that need to and want to and desire to step into being and bringing compassionate to those that are around them. But for you to be able to do that, you need to be aware of the season that we're in and the decision that people are making to live their life in a particular way that may not measure up or live up to what you think. You've got to work through that first before you can step into that place. I want to pray for those people today that we can put outside our own perceptions, our own ideas, in some cases our own fundamental Christianity, our own thoughts of what we think is morally acceptable by society, that we may come alongside people and just show them compassion to carry their heartbreak, to carry their suffering, to walk with them in their doubt, in their confusion. And there are others that are already doing that but are tired Stop being so hard on yourself. Stop being so hard on yourself. Your faith grows progressively. Not in an instant. You don't have to have the answers. Step by step. It's in stages. Allow yourself to breathe while you're walking with people. Allow yourself to immerse yourself in their situation. You'll be okay. And there are others that 
have felt their faith slipping away, it's time to fasten. It's time to make sure you're connected. It's time to make sure that as Ross puts cars on his trucks and fastens them so they don't roll off as he drives, it's time to fasten yourself to Jesus. It's time to know that He gives you the rope. Don't worry about how long the rope is. It's not up to you. You just need to make sure you're fastened to Him. And if life sends you a curveball and you feel like you're falling, you're going to be okay because you've steadily built yourself up in your most holy faith. You're fastened to yourself, yourself to Him. You are in His arms so that you can be the compassionate people that He's called you to be. So with every eye closed, if any of those things are you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands towards heaven. And let's just pray together that God does a work in our hearts that allows us to step past what can be, what can be, I'm not saying it is what can be, our own prejudices, that we can walk past those things into a place of true compassion. That we can be a people that even as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, that we learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Father, right now, I just pray for each and every person in this house. Lord God, that we would be a people that are not just full of your compassion, but we are compassionate people. That we are a people that will keep being compassionate to all those who suffer, to all those who have doubts, to all those who are suffering, to all those that are heartbroken, that we would keep being compassionate. And Father, help us with those that are around us. Lord, help us to constantly, steady, progressively build ourselves up in the most holy faith that we would be transformed into the image of Your Son, Jesus, that as we walk and talk with people, God, we won't be blown around like shifting sands or or grass weeds, God, but instead, Father, our foundation will be secure. And remind us, Lord God, to fasten, fasten ourselves to You, that our faith may be solid, that our faith may be well. Lord, that we would be an example of children of God because of the lives that we live. Built up, fastened to You, sharing compassion to those that are in need. Lord, that is the people that we want to be. That is the life that we desire to live. Lord, transform us more into the image of Your Son, Jesus, with ever-increasing glory. And everybody said, and everybody said, can we do something? Can we give God a clap? Amen. Let's be a compassionate people to those that need compassion. Amen. That includes those beside you, those in the house, those outside of the house. Richmond supporters in Jesus' name. Have a great Sunday.